0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Okay, 1 John chapter 5 is where we will be this morning. And this morning we are wrapping up this letter. We, we have been here since the end of August, um, just wonderfully walking through verse by verse through this precious letter given to us by the Apostle John, John. You know, most likely written to the church in Ephesus, but then passed around, and it was intended to be passed around, and and obviously then kept and preserved for us as the authoritative word of God. So so thankful for our time through this book, and there's been a few themes that John has been coming back to time and time again. It's the exaltation of Jesus of Nazareth as the son of God. So he wasn't just a historical guy that came, but he was the son of God. And that was being attacked, that was being um, detracted from in John's day. And so John was on a a fiery mission to exalt that and restore that uh, essential and central doctrine in the church, that Jesus is the son of God. And secondly, he was contending that the gospel had to look like something in our lives. There had to be a manifestation of fruit in our lives Uh, as born-again believers. And that's why he, throughout the book, you'll see the the constant word liar throughout is because he's calling people out of the lie or the deception of religion that doesn't bear any fruit. A gospel Christianity that doesn't bear any substance or fruit to it. And so um, he's contending for both those things, exaltation of the Son of God and Christianity that bears fruit that has substance to it. And so here in these final words of his letter, we see that um, again, those themes again, just from a little bit different angle. And, uh, and it's beautiful. I don't think we oftentimes think in terms of letters because we are such efficient. Uh, we, we live in such a communication age of efficiency. And so we're always thinking of acronyms and ways we can quickly shoot out a message to each other, right, via text or email. But like the way of letters is from a bygone era. Um, me and my wife were high school sweethearts and throughout high school we'd write letters to each other, you know. And letters aren't just one, or one sentence or two sentences like a text message, right, or an email. No, letters are thoughtful. They have a flow to them. They have a structure to them. And so most of the New Testament, not all of the New Testament, but most of the New Testament is, is letters. That's why they start with greetings and these Beautiful blessings over the church. and There's always kind of a main theme that they're contending for. And then they close it out either with greetings to specific people or in this case, since it was a general letter, there were no specific people that they, they greeted, but rather it ended again with a blessing. Sometimes it would be some beautiful doxology, but here it's a, it's a real blessing of this is my, my confidence for you as, as followers of Jesus, as believers. And that's where, that's where he brings it. And and I would contend that the end of 1 John looks a lot like the beginning of 1 John. And so before we read 1 John chapter 5, I just want to repeat the first few verses of 1 John chapter 1. Um, Bryce, can you bring those up there, buddy? My son is on iMeg this morning and doing a phenomenal job, buddy. 1 John chapter 1 says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So John has this fiery conviction since he was actually with the resurrected Christ, speaking now to a generation of whom most uh, have passed away In in John's generation at this point, many have passed away that had seen the resurrected Christ. So all these fanciful ideas and thoughts and controversies had arisen about who the true Christ was, who Jesus truly was. And and John starts with that conviction. This is the one I've seen. I've touched him. I've seen him with my own eyes. This is the one I proclaim to you. The word of life made manifest before us, demonstrated to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, verse 3, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The title of my message this morning is Life in the Son. Because Jesus, when he came lived his life in our midst, and then declared the kingdom of God to us. He was opening up a way of life for us, which was a way of life for all of eternity, but it had direct implications and impact on our life now. There was a whole new way of life open to us. And that's what John is contending for, is that this transforms, revolutionizes people's lives. That this doesn't become just a supplement, like a flavor of the week, like an app you add on your phone, a, um, a condiment you add to your to spice things up. Now this now uh, determines and impacts every facet of your life. The the words that Jesus Himself used in John chapter ten was that He is the gate. Whoever enters through Him will be saved. and and when He came, He declared a kingdom. So you can envision or imagine the work of Jesus and what he's doing for us today as opening up a gate to a whole different realm, a whole kingdom. You're outside this kingdom. When you've encountered Christ and you see his sufficiency, you enter through that gate and everything changes. You look around and it's like things look different. The, the, The scenery has changed your vision changes. Imagine a gate, like a, a, a national park or something. I remember going most recently to the Grand Canyon National Park, and it's barren, it's flat, it's a desert. You get to the, um, the boring gate uh, for the national park, you, you pay your dues, and you, you go, drive through the gate, and literally everything changes. Like, that's where they set up the gate. They set up the gate on the edge of all majesty and beauty of the Grand Canyon. So you get to the other side, and all of a sudden, all this, there's all this lush greenery and snow-capped rims. And then you get your first glimpse of the majestic uh, Grand Canyon and all its beauty. From the other side of the gate, it looked like a barren desert. You go through the gate, and everything changes. So it is in Christ. It changes everything. It, he, we enter through this gate and there is a whole new way of life by which we now get to take part in and experience. And that's what John was contending for. I think there was this like, grieved part of his heart, this heaviness in his heart, Grandfather John, to see believers embrace a form of Christianity, a low level of Christianity that left them down still in the dust, kind of still groveling, in their own self-pity and their view of things, their view of sin, their view of the Lord. And he, was, he had this zeal in him as an old man, this zeal for the church to live in its glory, for the church to understand the gate and the door that was opened for them through Christ for a whole new way of life. So I'm fired up and I, I pray this fires up each and every one of you this morning. Let's look at this in verse 13. That's where we stopped in verse 12 last, last week and, and we'll end this morning. Verse 13, it says this. "Is 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is now your trajectory for all of eternity. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So much that John crams in these final words in his letter. That he wants, to, it, to, he wants it to stick with them. He wants it to stay with them. These are things that, themes that he's already spoken into, but he wants this to be like the, the postscript, the, the thing that they, they come back to that seals the deal in these communities that this letter will travel throughout. And so it is for us today. So there's really four, four themes to this life in the sun that I believe John proclaims here so beautifully. And one is the fellowship with God that's opened up through this gate. The fellowship with God that's opened up through the door of Jesus Christ himself. This is our new life with God, it's intimacy with the Lord. And he talks about it here in the realm of prayer, asking the Lord confidently for the requests that are on our hearts. There's relationship with God that's now available to us. That's such good news. And if that, if that grid or framework has not impacted your life Monday through Saturday, then I would encourage you to reconsider the good news of Jesus Christ now, what Jesus opened up the door for in our lives was relationship with God Almighty, the God of the universe. Jesus contended for that in John 17 as he prayed to the Father. He said, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. It's actual fellowship with God. And so when we pray, we're not throwing up just blind petitions. We're not, we're not just hoping We're not just crossing our fingers. We're praying confident. We're praying confidently. And there's this beautiful intimacy with the Lord that's now available to us. So I would encourage you, if you don't think of this new Christian life as intimacy with God, then I would encourage you to ask the Lord that question. Lord, would you teach me what it means to know you? Would, it, would you teach me to know you, to know you as a friend in intimacy? Teach me. And I, I promise you, if you pray prayers like that, the Lord will begin to take you on a journey. He's, he's so good. Throughout my life, I've asked the Lord dozens and dozens of those sorts of questions, just genuinely, humbly inquiring of him of these things. And the Lord is so good to take you on this journey of teaching. He'll surround you with people. He'll show you, obviously, in his word. He'll give you experiences. He'll give you dreams. Even. He'll begin to teach you because he's the best teacher. So intimacy with God is a, is a real thing, and it's opened up to us through, through, uh, through the gate, through the door of Jesus Christ himself. And I encourage you to press into that, into actual friendship with the Lord. And When Jesus began to teach on the earth, about this new kingdom that he, he was gonna usher people into, you and I into, he began to break down the walls that hindered people from seeing God rightly. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he said, don't pray like the, like the pagans pray, like the Gentiles pray. But when you pray, you know, go get in your prayer closet, go get in the secret place and cry out to your father. Actually have a relationship with your father. And he'll see you. He'll give you that reward in secret. He says, you know, when stress comes, don't worry like the Gentiles worry. But begin to see God as a father who takes care of his children. Like this, this, this is now the new paradigm. It's actual relationship with God. It's not some wonky, manipulative relationship. It's actual relationship with, yes, a holy God, but it's friendship." Jesus said that, we're, not, not, we're now not called servants, we're called friends. That door was opened up to us, and I encourage you to, to press in and know the heart of God and the, the, the revealed character towards us. The Lord is a father, he's a friend. And so specifically, here in terms of this fellowship with God, John talks about praying these confident prayers which may feel like a stretch for us. You know, we don't often pray confident prayers. When like, the, the pressure is really upon us, when difficulties and crises really arise, it can be tough to pray confident prayers. But this is such a beautiful promise in verse 14. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, right? Because he's a father, he's a good father, he's a good friend. And whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Wow, what a promise. And this was opened up to us through the gate, Jesus Christ. Which doesn't mean whatever you ask for, you'll just get. But as we pray in accordance with the Lord's will, and in accordance with actual relationship. So not viewing him as some vending machine in the sky or some genie that'll just grant us our wish, but an actual relationship. That's why you will notice as we look at some specific promises, that many promises are tied to direct commands, moments of personal responsibility for us to be obedient. And then there's promises tied to that. So it's actual relationship, But then the Lord will hear us as we pray in accordance with his will. So this morning when you walked in, um, I had the, the welcome team hand out this, this sheet. This is something I created a number of years ago. Just as like a, a snapshot of many of the promises of God. So just pull that out because I, I just want to feel our faith of the word of God. When, when John here talks about praying in accordance with God's will... Many would ask, well, how do I know God's will? How am I supposed to know God's will about what I, what I should do for a living or, you know, where I should live or what car I should buy? How do I know God's will? Well, God has not left us in the dark. He has given us these beautiful, precious promises that fuel us, they feed us, they lead us, and He illuminates this path for us step by step as we can handle and as we need as we walk with the Lord in intimacy. And so I gave this summary of promises of the Lord just to give you a few examples of ways in which we begin to then pray confidently in accordance with God's will. Because I do believe that's God's plan for you is that you learn to begin to pray confidently. Just look at Psalm 23, that second Asterisk, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you can know God's will. His, his will for you is that he would be your rod and your staff that comforts you. That he would be his sustaining uh, shepherd that leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. That becomes this fuel, this promise To lead you through it. So you can pray confidently. What's God's will? His will is that you will fear no evil. That you'll have a conviction and a revelation that God is with you. That's God's will. and So you pray it and you'll know that God will answer your request. Look at uh, about halfway down. John chapter 8. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That is a promise. So if you're trapped in something, a pattern of thought, an addiction, and you're wondering why, how, what's God's will in regards regards to to this this stronghold over my life? Well, here's his will. It's it's right here. It's in God's word. It's in in John chapter 8. His will is for you to be free. And so how do you engage with that? You pray confidently, as John told us in 1 John. You pray confidently the will of God. And the Lord will hear you and he will grant your, your request. Two more down. Look at Philippians chapter four. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So much in this passage, but... This is a promise that the Lord will meet you with a tangible peace in the midst of anxious crisis and difficulties and stress, things that come against you, that the Lord will encounter you with a peace that surpasses logic, surpasses reasoning. That's a promise. And so we pray God's will, and that's how we do it, through the revealed will of God through his word, amen? Amen. That's fellowship with God. That's friendship that's been opened up through the gate. That's the life in the sun that's available to us. We pray confidently in accordance with God's will. It's not your will. It's the Lord's will. So this now needs to be the the, the food that feeds you. This now needs to be the, the grid that impacts your vision and view of things. It's the word of God. So I encourage you to, especially in a fresh year, a new year, Begin to dive into God's word like never before. Begin to allow it to be the the, the ground that you walk on, the the thing that sustains you, God's word. Amen? I remember in um, junior high, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that revolutionized my life. Um, There was a fresh boldness that came upon my life during that season in junior high, and uh, I started to have such a hunger for God's word, and uh, to the point, I'd bring my Bible. I was in public schools. I brought my Bible to school. I'd read it lunchtime. I'd read it uh, on the bus. I'd get home. I'd want to spend time in God's word. That's also the time in in life when I picked up a, a guitar for the first time and learned to worship the Lord, but there was this intimacy fueled by a hunger for God's word that began to impact the way I, I viewed things. And fast forward into high school, I began to, to realize that it's God's will for the Lord to heal people. It's the Lord's will for people to encounter salvation. These basic things of New Testament Christianity and the kingdom of God that Jesus revealed, I began to realize this is, this is supposed to be the normal. This is God's will. And here we are living down here in the dust in this low level of low, low plain. And Christ, in his revealed will, has revealed a whole new way of living. And so salvation and the revealing of God's uh, kingdom through healing were, were solidified in my heart well before I ever saw a miracle with my eyes. So my senior year of high school is when my brother Tony encountered Christ for himself. And for our family, that was uh, a significant moment. My theology was never based on Tony's breakthrough of his encounter with the Lord. It was based on this, uh, the will of God is revealed in scripture. that It's his will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so there are many nights where I'd write Tony a letter um, telling him, you know, I'm praying for him and the, what I believe the God wants to do in his life and that I love him and I'm there for him. I I have no idea what he did with those letters. He probably tore them up or whatever, but many nights I devoted to praying with my younger brother, too, praying for my brother. um, That he would encounter the Lord and this confidence began to well up in my heart that his day would come. And I remember exactly where I was in the second period Bible class, and then I was going to private school, and and I heard the news that my brother had encountered Christ. He had surrendered his life to Christ uh, in a Cafe parking lot with my dad. And and honestly, there's a ripple effect that took place in our family after he encountered Christ. Um, And so there was this confidence fueled by the revealed will of God that changed the way I prayed. And it didn't happen overnight. That's why we need to stop basing our prayers on our batting average. We need to start basing our prayers on the Word of God. Just like kids, we begin to pray the will of God. And leave the results in the hands of the Lord. If I were to base, if I were to base my prayers on my batting average, meaning like my, the percentage of times that a request um, gets answered the way I think it's going to, then honestly, I would never see a single miracle because I would have never started praying. Or the, after the la- or after the first time when no, no one got healed, I would have stopped praying. But I've continued to. to put these requests before the Lord, convinced of his revealed will in scripture. And I've seen the Lord move in miraculous ways. I remember the first miracle I saw with my eyes was the summer between my junior and my senior year as I was working overseas, drilling water wells. And our driver one day showed up, his name is Bosco. He showed up with a huge growth on his face, the size of a, um, like a tennis ball on his face. It was all pussy and disgusting and... um, I asked if I could pray for him. Bosco had a, a, had a knowledge of God, so he had a fear of the Lord, a certain reverence for the Lord, didn't have a vibrant relationship with Christ, and these are things we had talked about, and I laid my hand on him, prayed a simple prayer in faith, trusting the results in the Lord's hands, and uh, nothing happened then, but Bosco was thankful. Well, the next day, Bosco was more than thankful as he walked into the, into the shop with no, no growth on his face at all, <laughs> Beaming with the joy of the Lord that God had touched him. He woke up that morning with the growth gone. And um, again, that just solidified what I already knew to be true that it was the Lord's will. And I went back to my, my senior year at NDSU and we began to pray for everybody we, we saw with an ailment. And, um, and I'm, th- I'm thankful that the Lord solidified those things through the Word of God first in my heart and not based on the results. Um, and so I, I encourage you as children of God, as ones who have been brought into this new kingdom through the gate, through the door himself, allow this to now paint the picture now to be the, the standard, uh, this new friendship with the Lord that now changes everything. Praise God. That's just point number one. So is fellowship with God. That's what was opened up through this way, King Jesus, the son. The second is fellowship with others. He then talks about a specific type of prayer in community. He says, if someone has sinned, if a brother has sinned, verse 16, committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. And I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. He gives this picture of us living in community in such a way that a brother would confess a sin in community. And there would be healing that that person encounters. There'd be life that that person encounters as things are brought into the light. Remember, that's what he said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. I said he kind of repeats what he started with, and that's, that's true here as well. Verse 7, it says, 1 John 1, verse 7, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The very next verse, he says, don't let anybody be deceived that he's without sin, right? But rather we have this one, this advocate, this faithful advocate that goes before us. So there should be this humility that comes upon now our friendship with other people, people, our fellowship with other people in community, where we can confess our sins to each other and trust that in those moments, the Lord's going to come and meet that person with healing and forgiveness and assurance of their adoption into the family of God. You know, when we first read these couple verses, verse 16 and 17, uh, you may be scratching your head a little bit. And honestly, commentators and theologians have been scratching their heads for centuries, not exactly confident as to what John was referring to. Um, But I think there's a few things we can know about what he just said, that there's these sins that lead to death, there's these sins that do not lead to death. You know, at the beginning, he said, even in the household of God, we should know and not deceive ourselves that, that we're not without sin. None of us are perfect. But there seems, to be, there seems to be a line that John draws, a line that he draws between those that sin either un- unknowingly or unconsciously or they stumble into sin versus those that take this certain trajectory towards death, that is of willing, volition, uh, vol- uh, volitional, um, you know, willful sin, where it actually is taking the form of rebellion. Like we've decided we're going down this path. And John says, you don't have to pray about those things. You don't have to pray about, and, or pray for those individuals. It's, it's actually very uh, similar to Paul's instruction. When people begin to take a path down a certain road, our prayers for them change. Our prayers at that point are not like the household of God where there is grace in the context of humility. But when they've hardened their hearts with pride, honestly, the trajectory of our prayers turns towards their hearts. And it's, Lord, have mercy on their hearts. Holy Spirit, would you come and soften their hearts? It's not for forgiveness, because forgiveness is is on them to to willfully be a part of, of the process of coming back to the Lord. But now the aim of our prayer begins to be towards their heart, that Holy Spirit would soften them. And, and so he draws this line between sin in the household of God versus sin of those who have now taken a trajectory towards death. We all know that sin, all sin leads to death. But praise God that you and I, we've been saved from that death because Jesus took our place on the cross. But when we begin to take, a, take for granted that sacrifice of Christ, and we begin to to trample on it, we begin to treat it as something cheap, then we are plotting a path towards certain death. We are making our trajectory clear. There's a beautiful move of God that took place The early uh, the onset of 2023 in Wilmore, Kentucky, it was called Asbury Revival. It took place at Asbury College, but a marker of this move of God on this college campus was students confessing their sins. And it wasn't contrived; it wasn't manufactured. It was the spontaneous work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of community, in the midst of fellowship, as the Lord was moving in their midst. uh, Students would be compelled to confess their sins, not in their gory details, but in light of God's grace, in light of the Lord's mercy, knowing that they would experience healing as they come into the light. The blood of Christ would come and wash them clean. It was beautiful. And that's the Lord's will for us. As we enter through the gate, that we'd walk in a relationship with each other of openness, of honesty, not playing games, knowing that as things are in the light, we'll experience healing. So through this gate, we have fellowship with the Lord, actual friendship with God. We have fellowship with other people that's real. There's no masks. We're walking in the light before others as well. And the third is victory over sin, which he has talked a lot about in in this book. John has talked a lot about our our certain victory over sin. Our view of sin should change post-Christ. When we encounter Christ and go through this gate, we don't view sin the same way. There's still this honestly mystery or tension or battle with sin of which, for myself, even there's a mystery to it, but there's much that we can be certain about, and that is that we are no longer slaves to sin. He says, verse 18, so 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. You know, earlier in chapter three, he had said those that are born again do not keep on practicing sin. But he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. That's now our inheritance. As we've entered through this gate, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're dead to sin. He's already talked about, yeah, you're, you're still going to sin at times. Don't deceive yourself that you're perfect. Continue to allow Holy Spirit as counselor, as friend, to reveal these things in the context of community. But, but our view of sin has changed. Now we're dead to sin and we're alive in Christ. That becomes the banner over our life. Not our sin, not our past. The banner of our life is now Christ. Christ crucified. Christ alive in us. Romans chapter six, Paul says it very clearly that sin no longer has dominion over us. So this whole form of Christianity, which has run rampant in the Western church, of us kind of almost putting out this false humility of you know, woeful sinfulness, I believe is, a, is, a, is an insult to the cross, an insult to the victory that we have in Christ, where Paul says we a sin no longer has dominion over us. That is not the defining thing over our lives anymore. Galatians chapter 2, Paul says that I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so my prayer is that every one of us understands this. The Lord opens our eyes to see the thoroughness of, of his grace, the thoroughness of his work in our lives, that that be revealed to each one of our hearts. I believe how we understand these things regarding sin, it matters. It impacts our decisions tomorrow. Because if we believe that we're still bound to the same things, you've already set yourself up to fail tomorrow. But when you realize that Christ has set us free and these things no longer have dominion over us, that's where Holy Spirit is invited in to teach us and to like gird us up and to equip us and make us stronger, battle by battle, victory by victory, glory to glory. We're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. So our thoughts regarding these things matter. So I encourage you to submit yourself. Wh- whatever your, your current battles are, your current hangups, the things that that hinder you, the the sins that so easily entangle you. Bring those things to the Lord and say, God, change my thought pattern regarding these things. Give me your heart regarding these things. I would would hate evil and I I wouldn't be drawn to these things. I'm not bound to, you've set me free. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. The better way has been opened to us. Paul says it elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that we should not take the grace of God in vain. So if we're just using God's grace, as really a license to keep on doing the same things, and we've completely mis- missed it. We've misunderstood it. And he says, don't take the grace of God in vain. Grace is not just forgiveness or mercy. It's also strength and power to live this life out in this new kingdom. This is now our our new way of life in this kingdom. So there's victory over sin. And lastly is this, lastly is understanding. So we walk through this gate called the Son of God through Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with the Lord. We have fellowship with other people. We have victory over sin. And lastly, he says we have understanding. He says, verse 19, that we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and he's given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So now we have a new way of seeing things. We understand that there's still a cosmic battle, that in some senses, this world is still in the hands of the evil one. As Paul, says, Paul calls the enemy the prince of the power of the air. You know, even in, in Jesus' ministry, there seems to be a certain authority that's given to Satan that's beyond our understanding, that's beyond our ability to answer the question, why? And so that same enemy is still prowling around, parading like a a lion. We know the lion, but he parades himself like a a roaring lion, seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his will. That's what he does. And so we should stop being surprised as a church. The Lord has given us understanding. And we step outside these doors or step outside of our house and we see things Crashing and burning all around us. We should stop being surprised. We should understand ah, yes, the world is in the hands of the, the, the evil one right now. And there, there's this holy zeal that hope, hopefully rises up in our hearts for the kingdom of God to break in and bring hope and bring change and be revealed. But we should stop being so surprised. When the world is going to hell in a handbasket, we should stop being surprised. The world lies in the power of the evil one. God has given him a certain authority to to have his way. I believe it's because of the revealing of genuine love that the Lord has allowed that. But again, those are things beyond our understanding. But I can be confident of this, that the Lord's plan for us, his will for us, is to give us understanding, to give us eyes to discern and recognize as I've been saying lately, to allow us to live with our eyes wide open, our spiritual eyes wide open, to see things rightly. I've been calling us in 2024 to be a watching people. I'm going to invite uh, Jane, Dr. Jancy, if you'd come forward to the keys. But, um, I've been calling us in 2024 to be a watching people. And if we're going to be watching, we need to get our... Um, our view of things from God's word, if we're gonna live with spiritual vision, if we're not just gonna be uh, receiving what the world gives us, but we're gonna we have a vision of what the Lord's will is, we need to have his word as our guiding light. It means we need to have faith for the days to come. We need to have this vision for what the Lord wants to do, and that's a watching people. We'd be discerning. We'd be able to call it what it is. He says, we know we may know him who is true. That's the good news of Christ. We've encountered not just the way, but the truth in the life. It's Jesus Christ. And I believe the Lord's gonna give us discernment and understanding. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.